Welcome back, everybody. Happy to be with you here on the Sports Gospel, Episode 71, an episode that we're really fired up to do. Andrew and Darren here with you on this one. Uh, Episode 71, the first half of our two-part college football preview episode. And Andrew and I are going to talk a little bit about the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Next week with a few of our other co-hosts, we're going to look at the SEC, the Big 12, and then kind of the mid-majors and the independents. So, a lot to get to with college football, and we only have about an hour this week, so we're going to jump right into it. And since we have Mr. Big Ten himself, we're going to start talking about the Big Ten as our first conference preview. We're going to look at kind of the teams, not going to go in-depth on every single team, but talk about kind of the team previews where we see 1 through 14 falling, and then talking about a couple offensive or defensive MVPs. Andrew, what say you on the Big Ten? I feel like this is Ohio State and then everybody else, but you are far more locked into the Big Ten than I am, so maybe you have some insider knowledge that I am unaware of and that our listeners would be itching to hear about. Mr. Big Ten, I guess that's my nickname now. That's where we're going to anoint you. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I I accept accept that very high honor. Something something with NBA, Mr. Big Ten and NBA something or another. All right. We'll workshop it and and come back next time I'm on and have a better nickname. But uh, yeah, I don't... I. I do see Ohio state absolutely as the best team in the big 10 and the team that I think really most that can challenge them is Michigan. And I I expect Michigan to not drop off very far from where they were at last year. And obviously they won the big 10 last year. I do think Ohio state gets their revenge this year and I fully anticipate Ohio State being one of the best teams in college football overall. Um, they've got C.J. Stroud back. Jackson Smith and Jigba is a legit number one wide receiver. Travion Henderson, a lot of a name that not enough people are talking about. I think Travion Henderson is is one of the best running backs in the country. Um, so everybody thinks about C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and, and Jigba, but. I put um, Travion Henderson in that conversation with running backs like Bijan Robinson from Texas, who most people consensus say he's the best running back in the country. I think uh, Travion Henderson's right up there with him. Um, and they obviously they have Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr., who's going to play a bigger role this year. He showed up pretty well for them last year as well. I think, yeah, absolutely Ohio State is the best team. The defense is a little bit of a question mark. It was last year. It still is this year. I do think that will be an improved unit. I don't think it's going to be an elite defense by any means, but the offense for Ohio State certainly will be elite. And then Michigan, they did lose quite a bit from last year's team. I mean, Hassan Haskins is gone. But you've got Blake Corum back. You've got Cade McNamara, um, J.J. McCarthy, kind of the quarterback situation. Michigan has to get that ironed out. They kind of used both of them last year at various points in time. I think they will. I, I expect the defense to be good, though. The defense was good last year. I expect the defense to maybe take a little bit of a step back. Obviously, you lose two guys like Hutchinson, who was all world, and David Ojabo, who was obviously was really a first round pick, but he got injured and it made him fall into the second round. So you lose two defensive ends that are first round picks. That's 
kind of hard to replace, even with a place like Michigan, who does well in recruiting. I'm sure they have guys that we haven't really heard of yet that will step up to the plate there. But I, I see those as the two best teams. Um, so I don't think uh, it's that big of a drop from Ohio State to Michigan as uh, maybe most national pundits think. I think it's it's kind of close there at the top. But those are the two top teams. And then from there, I think you kind of have another tier where you throw in Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Penn State, and maybe Michigan State. Michigan State lost Kenneth Walker, who was a legit Heisman contender for quite a bit and was probably the best running back in college football last year. So that's really hard to replace because he really was – um, the engine for the Michigan State offense. And they had a lot of other guys graduate, go to the NFL as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Michigan State can do. They have a great coach. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of their coach. Um, but I think they're in that next tier um, with those te- those other teams that I mentioned. And then maybe a tier below that is where you'll find like the Purdue – the Maryland, the Nebraska. I think they're they're separate tier, and then the bottom tier is kind of your Rutgers, Indiana, Northwestern, Illinois. I think that's kind of your bottom tier. So I, I kind of look at the Big Ten Conference in tiers, and those are that's where I'd put the teams. And I think we have some of those teams in wildly different places, but we can delve at that delve deeper into that here in a minute. I want to circle back here and talk about, I want to take this kind of division by division and we'll look at the, uh, is, is the East, the legends or the leaders? We did away with those names. A few. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I, I, it's just, it's just East West now. That, that, and, that wonderful idea. What was it? Two years we had the legends and the leaders and it made no, like, I got it. Like, oh, let's split up the power and the weak teams. And then, but it made no sense. Nobody, it's like the ACC. Nobody can tell you who's in the Atlantic and who's in the coastal. Yeah. We had legends and leaders. And then I think, uh, the Big Ten expanded and added in Nebraska, um, Maryland, Rutgers expanded to 14, right? And then redid the divisions in a way that made way more sense, right? Which was just geographical. Well, that's because that's because Nebraska's power was going to balance out Michigan and Ohio State, so you could put Michigan and Ohio State in the same division. That's how it was supposed to work in theory, but what really happened was uh, <laughs> Nebraska fell off because it's not 1997. Yeah, and nine and three wasn't good enough. So, and I I hate to agree with you, but I think I hate Ohio State more than any other team. Like. That's the one time a year I'll cheer for your Hawkeyes is when they play Ohio State. It's between Ohio State and Alabama for me for who I dislike the most, but I I don't see anybody being better than Ohio State. They bring back so much talent. I thought there was going to be a drop-off from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, but we don't seem to be seeing any signs of that. The wheels keep on churning. The machine keeps chugging along. C.J. Stroud is probably the player of the year heading into this conference. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a first-round pick, barring any kind of crazy injury. And then, yeah, you you talk about the talent. It's we, Ohio State running backs are weird. It seems like they always have great backs, but who's who's a great NFL running back from Ohio State right now? Like, Travion Henderson may be that good, but I, I think it's weird. Ohio State always has these good guys that you think look like they have NFL potential, but none of them really stick. Well, Zeke had a few good years. I mean, he's falling off a cliff now. Um, But before Zeke, there was Carlos Hyde as well. 
Um, Carlos Hyde had a pretty good NFL um, career, solid NFL career, but nothing like special. Um, Curtis Samuel played running back. He's in the NFL still. He's hanging out as a wide receiver, but he kind of played like this wide receiver running back role. Um, so Travion Henderson, I think, has has the actual potential to be better than um, a guy like Zeke, which is, is kind of scary to think about. And then there's also a guy named Mion Williams that uh, backs up Travion Henderson, and he's good too. Uh, so they have a legit one-two punch there at running back spot. I guess my point in saying that was just they have weapons all over the place. Yeah, and it's that's, not just the wide receivers. That's that's the scary thing is they have weapons, and that's what concerns me about Michigan. And who knows, they've probably got some depth that we're unaware of. Harbaugh's kind of got to that place where he's going to reload every year. But when you lose Ojabo and Hutchinson, like you mentioned, I don't know what Michigan brings back that they could stop that Ohio State team. If we're taking this division by division, I think out east it is those two – I I think Rutgers is going to be slightly improved, but I think, you, like you mentioned, the tiers, Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland are at the bottom. Michigan State's kind of floating there in that mid. Penn State, I, I don't know what to make of their team. Under James Franklin, they're sometimes amazing and sometimes terrible, and sometimes they play quintuple overtime games against Illinois. That's the worst football game you've ever seen. So I don't quite know what to make of Penn State, but they're, kind, they're maybe floating in the middle with Michigan State, but I think you do have Michigan and Ohio State there that are going to run away from the rest of this division. But does Michigan have the horses to hang with Ohio State? And what does Michigan do at quarterback? Are they going to run with this two-quarterback system? I've never bought into the old adage that if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I think you can make it work in the right way. And maybe the quarterback whisperer that is Jim Harbaugh, maybe he knows what that is. But does does Michigan have an answer at quarterback with the two-man system they're trying to run? Yeah, I think they're going to really start out with McNamara and – try him out and probably try to hand over the keys to McNamara. I felt like that's how it was leaning later in the year. So I really think we see Cade McNamara play the majority of the snaps here um, from Michigan. But like I mentioned, they have, they have Blake Corum. They also have Ronnie Bell back. He's a great wide receiver. Um, Eric all is a, is a good tight end as well so they got some guys back it's the defense i think that i'm has to replace a little bit more and that maybe puts them down a peg from ohio state if they if they had ojabo or um hutchinson back well hutchinson was never coming back but ojabo was maybe but he really came on late in the year so i do think ohio state and michigan though are at the top and I could I could see Michigan being something like ten and two and Ohio State going twelve and zero. So and and something else we haven't touched on, but Ohio State has like five guys who are going to be NFL offensive linemen. I think at least two of them are going to be first round picks, and they're um, the two Joneses. I don't believe they're related, but uh, tackling a guard for them at Ohio State. We don't talk about the big guys up front, but they are loaded. Which and this is only pro football focus list. It's just one source, but no Wisconsin offensive linemen on their preseason first, second, or third team. How often does Wisconsin not have an elite offensive lineman? Yeah, that's a that's one thing I will say about Wisconsin. I've got them in that that second tier I mentioned. They are actually replacing like a lot of starters on both sides of the ball. Um so I'm putting my faith more in their 
their coach, their coaches, I should say, Paul Christ and defensive coordinator Jim Leonard. That's why I'm putting Wisconsin where they are. Um, but I could I could certainly see Wisconsin taking a step back this year because of all that they lost. But do they have um, a two-year starting quarterback? Do they have a what? They have an eighth-year starting quarterback. Yeah, they have Graham Mertz. Okay. Gotcha. Um, it wouldn't be Wisconsin if their guy hadn't been there forever. Graham Mertz, who was an early Heisman contender last year because he torched uh, a putrid Illinois defense in week one in front of a national audience on a Friday night, and everybody was hyping him up, um, but didn't really do anything after that. They do have a Heisman candidate at Wisconsin this year, and that's Braylon Allen, the now sophomore running back who is – he's huge. For for sophomore, he is absolutely huge. Um, I believe he is 6'2", 240, and it doesn't look like there's an ounce of fat on the kid at 6'2", 240 from the running back's spot. He is just an absolute beast, but – um, they bring back Nick Herbig, who's going to be a good uh, linebacker for them. But they don't bring back much else on defense. Like they're they're replacing a lot on defense. I think they have two other starters that they're bringing back, so they're replacing eight starters on defense. A really good defense, guys that were around for a while. They've got Mertz and Allen back, but also like all of the wide receivers are new guys that are first 10 starters. They've maybe played a little bit, but never in like a starter role, new tight end. And um, they're breaking in like three new offensive linemen. So they're, they're losing a lot on both sides of the ball and having to replace a lot. But I, I think people are putting them as the best team in the West, just based off the fact that they're Wisconsin and they've, been the best team in the West for the better part of the last decade, except last year. They lost uh, the division in the last week of the season to Minnesota. Um, I don't think Wisconsin is actually the best team in the West division. I, I think they are the second best team this year. I picked them on the podcast last year. I remember vividly that I said Wisconsin would win the West and looked looked good for all intents and purposes up until the last week of the season when Minnesota was able to knock off Wisconsin. I think the the actual best team in the West this year is Iowa. Um, (laughs) Let us us all pause to take in the uh, shock that we're feeling right now. Yeah, well, I think that this experience, the experience factor is going to come into play. Um, Iowa's defense is going to be better this year than it was last year. And it was great last year. Um, all the linebackers are back. All the defensive linemen, except for one guy, but they were really playing seven or eight guys. The defensive line is going to be way better than it was last year. So the front seven is going to be absolutely nasty. And on top of that, they're bringing back the best cornerback in the Big Ten, Riley Moss. Um, and Jamar Harris and Terry Roberts, who played on the other side, bringing in their Nwampa, who's a fire safety. Gene's going to play this year. 
Tavon Merriweather is back. They're just bringing back almost like almost everybody. Like they, they lost Hankins and they lost Dane Belton. And that's, and Jack Kerner. They lost three starters. Um, but they're replacing those three starters with guys who are equally talented, if not more talented than the guys that, that left. Um, and the defensive line is going to take a step forward. So uh, Lucas Van Ness, um, if there's a defensive line and that's going to burst onto the scene and be seen on like maybe that Aiden Hutchinson type level, it, it could be him. He had, I believe, eight sacks last last year. Uh, he was playing inside, and now this year he's going to play outside. So I think the actually the sacks for him are actually going to go up because his main job now is going to be as a pass rusher, not being a defensive tackle, run gap guy, and also pass rushing. He's going to be great outside. Um, so that's the defense. Now we flip to the offense, which it, it was wild. It was, a, it was an absolute case study last year in having an elite defense and a really bad offense and no winning 10 games. Iowa football last year in 2021 really kind of defied logic um, with the numbers that they had offensively and the success that they had on the field. I think, personally, the offense isn't going to be great, but it is going to be somewhere close to average, and that's going to be good enough. Um, and that's really all that Iowa needs is average offensive production because they already have an elite defense, and they're generally good on special teams. I do think we could see maybe – a little bit of a backslide on special teams because they don't have Charlie Jones who left for Purdue. So we could may not see as many, you know, kick return, great kick returns, punt returns that I was kind of had the luxury of, but the kicking game will be okay. The punting game will be okay. Um, for all those reasons, I think, I think I was the favorite to win the last and they should be. For me, the West is a lot more wide open, and hopefully while I'm talking, your speaker will get fixed and you won't sound like a drowning robot. Uh, but I think the West is far more wide open. Iowa and Wisconsin, they're going to be there. You know they are. They're you know, kind of usual suspects. I don't think there's a great, great team here like there's Ohio State or maybe Michigan, but to me, there's a lot more parity in the West. Minnesota, to me, is really intriguing. We keep waiting. When's P.J. Fleck finally going to pop? When's he going to get that New Year's Six Bowl team? He got him to 11 wins in 2019. It's kind of been his cycle. is bad, good, great, and then bad, good, so he's due for another great year. But can they really get over the top? I think the only the only team that had more running back injuries last year than Minnesota was the Baltimore Ravens. It felt like Minnesota every week had a stud running back go down. Uh, Mo Ibrahim seems to be the main guy. He's going to be the big stud for them. Talk about Heisman candidate running backs in the Big Ten. He's, I think he's every bit as good as um, Braylon Allen and Travion Henderson. So exciting if he can be healthy, what he can do for them. 
And then Purdue is really, really intriguing for me. This Aiden O'Connell, I don't know much about him, but the way people are talking, there's a couple ACC quarterbacks that I want to get to here in a minute. But he seems to be in that class of doesn't play at a top-notch school. He's not going to get the attention of a C.J. Stroud or a Quinn Ewers. But Aiden O'Connell just kind of seems to have all the tools to be a stud quarterback. And really the accuracy and precision has been his calling card. And Purdue, the last couple of years, has turned out these great wide receivers, the Rondale Moores and the David Bells. Purdue's kind of become this wide receiver factory in the Brome era. So Purdue, I'm not going to sleep on. Basically, any team in the West, I can see doing it except for Illinois because they're Illinois and they have Bielema as the coach. Northwestern, weirdly, every once every couple of years gets 10 and 11 wins and then goes back to the cellar and they're impossible to peg down. Nebraska, and I know you're going to laugh at me and the world's going to laugh at me. I am not sold that Nebraska is not going to be in here in a 9-10 win contention. I think Scott Frost is throwing everything at the wall to make this team a contender. Got all kinds of transfers, really revamped this entire offense. Got a lot of new, I think he has new assistants on both sides of the ball, if not up and down, but Mark Whipple, a big guy we talked about on the uh, show a couple weeks ago with some of our other hosts that he was kind of this genius of the Pittsburgh offense last year. You saw with Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison with what they were able to do. So any one of these, you know, six of the seven teams, yes, Northwestern's a long shot. I don't see Illinois having a prayer, but these top five, I could see the shaking out anyway. And I think I'm going to go out on a tiny little bit of a limb and I'm going to roll that boat with PJ Flex saying Minnesota is going to sneak out of the West after these teams all beat each other up. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't hate it, but I don't necessarily love it. Um, I think a, a big deal with Minnesota, their defense is going to be good. Um, not enough people are actually talking about their defense. They got a lot of guys back as well. Um, it's not going to be Iowa, Iowa level because Iowa has the best defense in the Big Ten, um, and arguably one of the best defenses in the country, actually. Um, but Minnesota has to replace their entire offensive line with the exception of the center, which high-quality center in John Schmidt. But as Iowa kind of saw last year, they had Linderbaum and four other guys who had not started before. They had maybe played some or hadn't even played some true freshmen out there starting. And the offensive line at Iowa was, was not great. Um, most of the season, uh, got a little bit better in later in the season. My point being Minnesota's in kind of a similar boat where they're going to throw four guys around a, a quality center. Minnesota. And... Boat. I see what you did there. <laughs> yep. Uh, very unintentional actually, but I think that kind of a thing, while it's not very sexy or, or appealing to talk about, it matters. Um, and that's why I've got Minnesota is probably the third best team here in the division. So I, if we want to just run it down real quick, I've kind of got Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue at four, Nebraska five, Illinois six, Northwestern seven. Um, if we're talking Big Ten West, in the other division, I've got Ohio State one, Michigan two, Penn State three, Michigan State four, Maryland five, Indiana six, and Rutgers seven. And 
for whatever faith you put in schedules, looking at the top of the West here, Wisconsin may have the short end of the straw on this. They have to go to Ohio State. They have to go to Iowa and then to Nebraska, if you consider traveling to Nebraska much of a competition, whereas Iowa and Minnesota, Iowa's only really big road test is Ohio State. They get Iowa State at home. They get Michigan at home. They get Wisconsin at home. They get Nebraska at home. And infamously, Iowa basically owns Minnesota, even in Minneapolis, which Minnesota, similar situation, pretty easy schedule. They do have to go. They have to go to Penn State, Nebraska and end the year at Camp Randall. But I however good Penn State is, you could have a Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota team that's looking at being eight or nine wins heading into Nebraska. And then, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin back to back games is not an ideal way to end the schedule. But the of those three, I think the Badgers have the worst schedule of the bunch. I would totally agree with that. I would say the Badgers have the worst schedule. I will probably net right next, right after that. And then, yeah, Minnesota's got a really nice, a really nice schedule. Yeah, I absolutely, I could see um, the at Penn State date is a little bit tricky, but I could honestly see um, Minnesota being ten to zero and things really coming down to those last two weeks for them. And that's going to be the fun of the West this year is with the way the games are scheduled like that, those last couple weeks of November, I mean, Iowa goes to Minnesota, Nebraska at home the next week in the last two weeks. But before that they play Wisconsin. So they go Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska, Uh, the other teams who we think could be make things interesting and then Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota for Wisconsin. Those last three weeks, like it's going to come down to maybe the, even the last week of the season, like it did last year for tiebreakers and that kind of a thing. I could see, you know, a couple of 10 and two teams here in the West, and it'll come down to tiebreakers for who's going to go to the Big Ten Championship. In, in a similar vein, as if life is not easy enough for Ohio State. They get the severely overranked Notre Dame at home to start the season, or I guess not, but you don't have to go to Notre Dame. You get Wisconsin at home. You get Iowa at home. You get Michigan at home. You have to go to Penn State, which is probably your toughest road challenge. But, you know, life's already easy enough for Ohio State. And then their three toughest games are all at home, three out of their four toughest games, at least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. That's a, that's another reason why I think Ohio State's going 12 and 0 this year. And before we move on, um, I will just say I did put a little bit of money down on Ohio State to win the college football championship this upcoming season. Must be nice. I'm not saying it's a it's a sure bet, but they're not the they're not the top favorite. I believe they're third right now in terms of title odds. So. I decided to take a, not too much of a shot in the dark, but a little bit of a shot. I do think they're a good bet to make the college football playoffs, but I took it one step further and uh, picked uh, Ohio State to win the national championship this year. Must be nice to live in a state where you can bet on college sports legally. It's really great. Um, you should you should live here sometime. I'll try. I'll try it one of these days. Yeah. States like to wait until I leave before they legalize fun things like fireworks and gambling. Yeah. Well, maybe don't come back then because maybe it'll go back to being boring. However, I did move to states where you can have all the weed you want for free. So, you know, you you trade trade offs. Yeah. Fair trade. You want to talk about the ACC? 
Well, I guess here we, we, we got to do some individual. Do you want to do some individual awards for the big 10 or do you want to circle back with individuals? Uh, we can go ahead and, and break down individuals right now. Yeah, I just want to give a, a quick shout out here on my, this, again, I hate to give Ohio state credit for anything, but I think my offensive MVP heading into the season is CJ Stroud. He's going to be the star of this conference and is basically any, any award in the conference, let alone college football is his to lose. So I'm going to go with CJ Stroud, the Ohio state quarterback. And then my defensive guy, I was kind of between two edge rushers. Uh, and for the sake of not picking Ohio state for both, I'm going with this Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin and Zach Harrison was the guy from Ohio state was the other one. I don't know that any of them are the Watts or the Bosa's or chase young levels of good, but I, a, a slight edge to Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin over Zach Harrison for my defensive, you know, MVP or top player to watch. Fair. Um, offensively, I think I'll join you on the CJ Stroud bandwagon. I mean, it's the, it's the easy pick, right? For the offensive MVP, great quarterback in a, in a high powered offense, going to put up ridiculous video game like numbers probably this season. So he's the clear cut offensive MVP and he's going to be the reason Ohio State wins it all if they do. Um, defensively, and I know this will, will absolutely shock you. Can, can I just take a whole defense? Can I just take the Iowa defense? I mean, I was kind of figuring out how you were going to try to convince me that Sam Laporta plays on the defensive side of the ball and he should win both awards. Two-way. Two-way no, play. No. Uh, if I have to pick one guy, I'll go ahead and pick um, Cash. I, I guess I'll pick the best cornerback in the Big Ten. I guess I'll go with Riley Moss. But I thought you were in love with the I'll- secondary guys. Um, for the Hawkeyes this year. I'm really actually in love with the linebackers. It's actually one of the best. It's tough. It's tough, man. Um, Because actually I think Iowa probably has the best uh, linebacker unit in the big 10 for sure, but maybe, maybe the best in the country. Um, Jack Campbell too. So I'll I'll take, I'll cheat. I'll take two guys. I'll take Riley Moss and Jack Campbell. I did. I did the same thing. So it's okay. We I'm make- sorry. <laughs> There's right. my plug for Iowa football. We'll get off the Iowa football infomercial now. Thank you. So going over to the ACC, and the ACC is very curious to me. I feel like it is a wide-open conference that's kind of by de facto, I'm just going to say Clemson because it's kind of the safe thing that we're used to. Kind of forget last year that it was Pitt and Wake Forest that played for the championship. We've gotten so used to this conference being Clemson. And then before that, you know, usual suspects of Miami and Florida State. But there and this is a weirdly deep quarterback conference. That's what I really want to talk about with them is looking at who the quarterbacks are. So your your preseason again, this is just uh, pro football focuses list. But you have Sam Hartman at Wake Forest. Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. And he's the one I really want to touch on. And then Keaton Slovis at Pitt are kind of their their top three. But then you add in, you've got Devin Leary from NC State, who's got uh, pro, pro potential. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami is kind of the one that everybody's really looking at being that that exciting electric quarterback. But weirdly, somehow the ACC has like five or six NFL potential quarterbacks. And we even, didn't even mention, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong every time I say it, DJU, DJ Uyunglele at Clemson, who is the highly touted five-star, you know, next Trevor Lawrence for them. But the yeah. ACC, I don't know how good any of these teams are, but the quarterbacks, there's, again, they're loaded from top to bottom in this conference. And, well, and Malik Cunningham at Louisville. Um, 
probably another, maybe not a first round quarterback, but probably a guy who's going to get drafted as well. So all those guys you mentioned, I out of all the guys that we've mentioned here, the quarterbacks in the ACC, the, the worst one is probably DJ from Clemson, but I do think Clemson's the best overall team. Um, and yeah, Van Dyke is really looked at as kind of the guy and quarterbacks is just kind of the theme. I think it's a really great class of potential NFL prospects for quarterback all the way around, but you're right. I mean, the ECC does seem to actually be, be loaded with quarterbacks. Uh, could be fun in that regard to watch some ACC football just because I would expect um, good offense because of the quarterbacks who are here. And there's, well, we'll get into the teams here a little bit more, but the the team I want to touch on is Virginia. I don't know what to make of them, kind of an era of change for them. But Brennan Armstrong is the guy that a lot of people are talking about, kind of like Aiden O'Connell with Purdue. If this is your NFL guy, this this is the one you want your polished NFL quarterback. It's Brennan Armstrong. Somebody plays at Virginia, you've probably got that football IQ pretty well nailed down. And there's two first-team wide receivers. He's got, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, uh, Keaton Thompson and Dontavian Wicks, two first-team wide receivers for Virginia. Not something you usually think about with Virginia's exciting offense, but this may be the year they change things. And if this conference is wide open, they're, they're going to have the opportunity to do something. I don't know that the defense is you know, anything to be afraid of. I currently have Virginia as kind of my four team right now. Clemson, obviously, at the top. I do think Louisville is going to kind of bounce back. Something about that Louisville team, I think they've got the shine on right now. Pitts, uh, Narduzzi's been there forever and for some reason kind of popped last year, whether or not that was Pickett or Jordan Addison being there or Mark Whipple, the coordinator we talked about. But I think Pitt can kind of replicate that with Keaton Slovis. I've been on the Keaton Slovis train since he started at USC, moving from USC to Pitt this year and kind of picking up where Kenny Pickett left off. So I'm in on that Pitt team for better or worse. I think Keaton Slovis can really take them places. And then I have Virginia at four, NC State five, and Wake at six. So we're kind of in this weird topsy-turvy world that I'm going to guess almost nobody else in the world sees the same six as I do. I just, I can't trust Florida State. Mike Norvell has not got me to buy in there. Miami is very, very curious. I think they're going to flirt with that top six, but we've been burned by Miami so many times before. I believe in Mario Cristobal. I think he'll get them right. I think he'll have them there eventually. I just don't think he can do it in six months. He's going to recruit. He's going to bring in beastly offensive linemen. He's going to fix that defense. And if Van Dyke gets another year or two under his belt, he may be in there, but I think that's maybe your, that's probably your top half. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. And then I'll throw Miami. I think those top seven separate out. I think Duke and Virginia Tech have new coaches. North Carolina, how much does Mac Brown have left? Uh, I think Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Dino Babers is probably in his last year unless he gets to eight or nine wins. But I think the conference for me, the more I look at it, kind of separates out into seven and seven and kind of some surprising teams when you think of Louisville, Pitt, Virginia, and Wake being in the top half of that seven. Yeah. Um I, I think I'm maybe a little bit higher on NC State um, than most. I really think the two best teams here in this division, uh, well, in this conference, but they happen to be in the same division, the Atlantic division here are Clemson and NC State. I think those are actually the two best teams that we've got in the ACC this year. Um, in the in the other division, though, I think it's kind of a Miami, Pitt, North Carolina race. I'm putting your Virginia guy down there a little bit. Um, 
just because I think the team around um, Brendan Armstrong, you mentioned the wide receivers, Dontavion Wicks, Keaton Thompson, they are great. Um, and I think the offense will put up some good numbers, but new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new system. I don't doubt Brendan Armstrong will have success. I just, again, they're only bringing back 10 guys from last year's team. I, I don't really like that. I Experience matters a lot in college football. Um, and NC State has a lot of experience and a legitimate potential first-round pick in Devin Leary. Miami has the same with Van Dyke. He's definitely been floated around as a a pretty high first-round pick in a lot of two early mock drafts. So we'll see if he can kind of live up to that. I think uh, Van Dyke and Leary are probably the two best quarterbacks in the conference. And then right behind him is kind of that Sam Hartman, Brendan Armstrong, Malik Cunningham um, Clemson, I'm putting them high because of the defense, specifically the defensive line. They have a really, a really um, nasty defensive line between Brian uh, Brees and uh, Miles Murphy. So I'm I'm going with Clemson as the best team, but I don't think NC State is actually that far behind. Problem is, is that for NC State is that. Clemson's going to get back to winning the division and probably winning the conference. On the other side, I think it's kind of a Miami Pitt, North Carolina race um, on that other side. Um, But I will go ahead and give the slight edge to Pitt. I think Pitt is going to be back in the ACC championship. They'll lose to Clemson, but they'll be back in the ACC championship this year with Slovis at the helm. And I, I want to believe in NC State, and I, the story last year was great, and them taking down Clemson was a feel-good story. They're just – I worry that they're kind of like Indiana or Iowa State these last couple of years where they spike and they get this great year and everybody picks them and overhypes them. Of, oh, they're a New Year's Six team and they can repeat. And it's like, well, maybe or was it a one-year wonder? I would – I'm all for NC State, Wake, and maybe I'm buying too far into this Louisville team. I'm all for one of them taking down Clemson. But you mentioned two of the guys right there. And then if you actually uh, want to throw in Trenton Simpson, so Brian Brees, Riles Murphy, and Trenton Simpson are probably top 15 NFL players. Xavier Thomas and Andrew Makuba uh, are first-team players on that defense. So that Clemson defense is going to be loaded. So good luck scoring on them. I I just, I'm not sure about the Clemson offense right now, unless DJU takes a massive step from one to two. But even with that, I do think Clemson is probably quite a ways ahead. And I just, nobody in the coastal division feels special to me. I still feel like the top four of the Atlantic is where the race is. I, I want Virginia and Pitt to, to kind of do well. And it'd be, it's college football is better when Miami is fun. I, I don't really care. Like I have no vested interest in Miami. Texas, USC, but college football is more fun when all these blue blood programs are good and we don't just get Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma every single year. We need some we need some more diversity mixed in here in these these classic programs like Miami. It's more fun when they're good. But I, I'm gonna I think I am gonna stick with Pitt. I think Pitt would take down Virginia in the battle for the coastal and then probably get run over by Clemson in the championship game. So might as well just pen Clemson into the new year six right now. Yeah. I think that's the safe bet, right? Um, The safe bet is to just come in here to the ECC and pick Clemson. And and that's exactly what I'm doing. I just, 
I do think that NC State can challenge Clemson. Maybe the hype is getting to be a little bit too much with NC State. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they're a New Year's Six team or anything, but do I think they are possibly a 10 and 2 team? Yeah. Very, very possible that NC State could be 10 and 2, but I don't think that will be good enough to win the division. I fully anticipate like a, an 11 and 1 year or um, or better out of Clemson. Uh, we'll see. They definitely took a, a step back last year, and I do think that their competitors have gotten better. So their ACC schedule isn't just a, an absolute breeze for them. But <laughs> Got it. Like, like Brian breeze. Gosh, I'm, You're on I'm fire rolling tonight. me up. The, yeah, the unintentional puns are just, they're just rolling off my tongue tonight. So I'll uh, keep them coming. Thank you. Uh, well, there's this conference is good for them. There's a litany of wonderful names here. Uh, just just like fun names, and I'm going to butcher half of these, but Christian Mahogany, Kalijah Kansi, uh, Storm Duck, which might be my favorite. Yeah, uh, actually, that's my favorite name. I think yeah. probably one of my uh, probably one of my favorite names in college football. It's it's a tie between Storm Duck and the uh, quarterback from Oklahoma, General Booty. <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to give me a bumper pool from Arkansas. Oh, I'm a big fan of bumper pool as well. Uh, that's one of the things I love about college football. Some of the, some of the random names of of guys is British, just great. British Brooks, running back from North Carolina. Hmm. Yep. That's that's a good name. So, sorry, Big Ten, we didn't do this for you. But you know, there's a guy named Eric All. Yeah, that's he is definitely part of the All Name team. So, so your your ACC championship is Clemson over. You say Pitt. I did say Clemson over Pitt. Yeah, we're going to be boring. Pick the same ones. I think the the rest of the way the rankings shake out is probably going to be wildly different. Again, my love of Virginia and Louisville more than most people, and kind of everybody's really wanting to be on in on Miami. And yeah, I think Miami's still a year or two away. I just I don't buy into Mario, but I agree with you. I think I would love to see a an NC State or a Pitt get to ten and two and get one of those at large bowl games to go play in the. You know, I don't even know what the New Year Six arrangement is for this year off the top of my head, but get to like an Orange Bowl and an at-large bid, something like that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, if I had courage, I would pick NC State, Miami, and the UCC championship, but I don't. So here I am picking Clemson Pitt. Do you do you want to pick some outstanding players? Absolutely. Um, so the outstanding player on offense, I think in the ACC this year, it's gotta be a quarterback. A lot of people are high on Tyler Van Dyke. I'm going to go ahead and take Devin Leary. If NC state is a 10 win team, which I think they could be, it's going to be because of Devin Leary. So, uh, give me Devin Leary as the offensive MVP of of the conference and, Defensive MVP. Can I just take the the Clemson defensive line? I guess that going to be um, that going to be your play for every conference. I don't know. I mean, it just in, in the Big Ten and the ACC, the Clemson defensive line is one of the best defensive lines that there is. So between Brian Brees and and Miles Murphy, 
I'll just take those two guys. I, I can't nail it down to just one defensive MVP. So I guess I'll take those two guys from the same team. I'm going to go with two guys who I've already leaned into and professed my appreciation for. I'm going to go with Keaton Slovis for the slight edge over Brennan Armstrong, just because I think Pitt will be the better team and he'll put up better numbers in that offense than Armstrong will with Virginia. Again, coming from USC, I was a big fan of his game. I think he has NFL potential if he can tap into that. So I think he'll be the star player. And I just, I think Clemson's going to win with their defense. I don't think DJU or anybody on that Clemson offense is going to shine bright enough to, to truly be the outstanding offensive player. But I, I'm going to stick with you on that Clemson defense. And I'm going to single out Brian Brees, who I feel like has been there for a dozen years now, but he's kind of become the face of that Clemson defense, I think, and carries on the, uh, the tradition of the, the Christian Wilkins, Demarcus Lawrence, Cleveland Furl, that group of guys. He's the next generation of that. So give me Brian Brees and Keaton Slovis as my ACC preseason players of the year. I like it. And last, the West Coast. The will it be here in two years? Pac-12. And you talked about tiers. And I think this one, again, my tiers may be radically different from anybody else's. But I think there are three tiers for the Pac-12. I think your top tier is Utah, Oregon, USC, and UCLA. In the middle, you've got Stanford, Oregon State, Cal, and Washington. And then at the bottom, Arizona State, Arizona, Wazoo, and Colorado. I think with that bottom tier, you have a lot of rebuilding. And Washington may almost have to be in that bottom tier. They're teetering on the line. But basically, two new coaches at the Washington schools. Arizona, I think Jed Fish just needs more time. I wouldn't get rid of him after this year. But I think just that program was run into the ground. That it's going to take a long time for him to rebuild it. Arizona State, I just don't think the Herm Edwards experiment is fully going to work out the way they expected it to. I don't have this hatred for Herm that people seem to be turning on him every day when I turn on the radio or podcast. But I just don't think that's quite quite the right fit there. And then Colorado is just kind of always, they, they have their nice years. They pop every couple of years, but it's just kind of always an uphill battle for them. And then in your middle, I think Stanford's going to get back with Tanner McKee. I feel like I've talked about Tanner McKee, like five straight shows in a row. I think Stanford and Cal, those are the two I think are going to be better than people expect. Justin Wilcox is a defensive maven. He just needs to figure out something for that offense. They've been anemic on offense, but amazing on defense. So I think he's, I think he's been there long enough. He's got a system in place. So I think the golden bears are going to be, they're not going to be amazing, but a seven and six, a bowl team. I think they will be right in there and Washington's just Washington. So they're never going to quite fully be out of it. And the cupboard's never going to be bare. So I think they're also going to be in that six win and Oregon state's going to be better than you realize. I don't think people off, the West Coast or even outside of Oregon know that Oregon State, this is a legit eight or nine win team. They beat a USC and Oregon or Utah. That is not a shocker. So the Beavers are, it, you know, they, they have the right guy in the right place and he's got them to buy in and he's really brought in a lot of talent. I think they have a couple NFL caliber guys, especially on the defense that he's recruited there. And then your top tier, I love UCLA more than most people. I think it's UCLA and Oregon in the championship game, but you know, UCLA, Utah, Oregon, USC, I think that's going to be a fun battle between those four. The big questions USC is all these new faces and new places, are they all just going to immediately merge? I think we assume that Lincoln Riley is just going to, you know, wherever Lincoln Riley goes, wins will follow. But I think what we're forgetting is that when he went to Oklahoma, Bob Stoops already had everything set up there. They were Oklahoma. They were ready to go. It was a turnkey operation. He just put his brilliance on top of that. USC is not in that spot. The current USC is not as good as Oklahoma was when he took over there. But brings Caleb Williams with him, brings in Jordan Addison. So USC is not going to be bad, but I think it's not going to be a locked, done deal that USC is going to run over this conference the way some people seem to think. 
Yeah, I don't think EOC is going to run over the conference. In fact, I think uh, I do think they're in the high tier um, because those teams are Utah, Oregon, and USC. I think is kind of the best three in this conference here. Um, I think Utah is probably the most complete team, top to bottom. So I'm I'm thinking Utah is going to win their division and Oregon's going to win their division. Um, but I do think USC could make it interesting. I'm just I'm taking Utah to win the division over USC. But I do think we'll see we'll see maybe eight or nine wins out of USC this year. But I don't think we're going to see enough wins to. Uh, for them to be like national contenders, New Year's Six Bowl. I don't think that's this year for USC. I think that's next year for USC is when Lincoln Riley will really have things rocking at that point in time. But who knows? I mean, you mentioned, yeah, Caleb Williams, um, not quite draft eligible yet, but will be um, after next season. But when he is, He'll he'll definitely be a high pick, and Jordan Addison is definitely a first round wide receiver. So it's not like the USC offense will be boring by any means. Travis Dye, as well, a pretty high quality running back that came over from Oregon, right? Transferred in. Yeah, if USC you're not familiar with Oregon. Travis Dye, he's been in college since 1997, and he looks like it too. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking yeah. on the other one. I can I can see him in my head. I've heard his name a million times, but Oregon had two running backs that felt like they were in college for a solid decade. So I don't know how they still have eligibility. But they kind yeah. of punch in their backfield for the last couple of years. Yeah. So yeah, but what I mean to say, I guess, is USC has a lot of weapons. So I think their offense will be good. Um, not too sure about the USC defense, to be quite honest. And I do know that the Utah defense was good last year. Obviously, Devin Lloyd is no longer around, um, who was just an absolute stud at at the middle linebacker spot. But Cameron Risen's back. Tavion Thomas is a a first-team running back. Like Utah has a lot of guys on this first team that I'm looking at but on both sides of the ball. Um, so does USC as well. Um, so I think that's really where the competition is this year between Utah and USC. I think Oregon's going to kind of run away with the North. Yeah, and that's I think that says more about the conference than anything else. Oregon just has so much talent. Uh, you know, almost too many quarterbacks that they don't quite know what to do with when you have Bo Nix coming in. You have Ty Thompson, who is kind of the five-star guy, and then – um. Uh, the Butterfield Blues Band. I'm blanking on his first name, but Butterfield's the other young guy. I think Ty Thompson will eventually take over from Bo Nix at some point in the season. But I just, I don't know that the North is that great. If Oregon State was able to get hot and stun them, that'd be an amazing story. Stanford, I'm not going to count out, but it does feel like Mario Cristobal set up Oregon to have all the right pieces in the right places. So Oregon would be hard to catch. Your battle is in the South with uh, Southern California and the Utah schools. And it is kind of a fun contrasting of styles because you have USC and everybody thinks the glitz and the glamour and Lincoln Riley and the pretty boys and the high powered offense compared to Utah, which is whatever cliche you want to throw out there about the lunch pail, blue collar, high motor, because that's Utah's thing. They don't really turn out a lot of stars. You know, a Devin Lloyd is a one in a million player for them, but they don't really have a lot of 
singular stars. Cameron Rising is fun to watch and has a, a great style and persona and, and a wonderful name. I mean, Cameron Rising is hard to beat. But Utah, for the most part, they're about team ball, playing aggressive. They're much more of a smash mouth. It feels kind of like an SEC team playing out West with the the hard hitting, the defense, the physical. You're not going to out-physical a Utah team. You may win with talent. You may win with speed. But nobody's going to hit harder, tackle better, play more, just every every fundamental style of football. That's where Utah is going to beat you. And I think... Yeah, you said, you said like an SEC team in the Pac-12... When I watch Utah play, I really think they're like a, a version of Iowa in the Pac-12. They're like a Wisconsin. They're like an Iowa. They play they play a Big Ten brand of football in the Pac-12, and they do it successfully. And they're they're going to be right in there. I need to pull these schedules up while we're talking about this to see how this all shakes out. But I am I am totally fine with nobody else wanting to be on the UCL bandwagon with me. I know it's shake it's taken Chip a little bit of time, but he he finally got finally got UCLA eight and four last year after a couple down years. But I think this team is ready to explode. Uh get to know the initials DTR. I think you're gonna start hearing about him, the UCLA quarterback, more so as the year goes on. The defense is better than people realize. I just I feel like UCLA has got something special going on this year. But those those three, I'm trying to pull up their schedules here to look at them, but between UCLA and then make them down to schedule and who plays who when, but UCLA, USC, and Utah can be a fun race. Yeah. yeah. And Utah um, has a pretty intriguing non-conference schedule. I think um, they start out well, their week one, I think is great for Utah because they go to the swamp. They Ooh. go to Florida on September 3rd. Very winnable. New so, coach in Florida, first year coach. Very winnable, but also like a tough environment should be a pretty decent game, actually. Um, their schedule difficulty at the at the list that I'm looking at is 55th um, overall. USC is 49th, and UCLA has like the 75th toughest schedule in all of college football. Yeah, a, a rather easy non-conference for them. They're really going down to the... FCS to find their teams, but they get, they get Utah, they get Washington, they get Stanford all at home. And however much you want to consider USC a home game, not really a home field advantage there. Their only tough road game is they have to go to Oregon. So if they can, if they can get business done at home and you know, you, I would not be shocked to see Oregon beat them in the regular season, but the schedule sets up nice for UCLA. Yeah, that's that's very true. The UCLA schedule is kind of nice, but um, we'll see. And ooh, Oregon's got quite the home schedule. I didn't realize that till now. They get Utah and UCLA at home. Where do they they play USC? They can't get all three of those at home. Man, what's going to happen uh, to football when when Oregon goes to Georgia in Week One and beats the Bulldogs? How awesome is that going to be? Uh, I don't know if that'll happen. That would be very interesting. I do think that'll be a pretty good game. Um, I'll I'll take Georgia in that one, though. Okay, um, is, I'll, I'll be safe and take Georgia. And this is this um, off year. Oregon and USC don't play each other. Yep, off year. Yep, Oregon USC do not play each other. And well, that's a little bit of a future because. 
they will not be in the same conference in the future. So um, people on the West Coast well, hear that. It's who knows? Too, too soon. Uh, sorry. Maybe, maybe they will reunite in the Big Ten. I mean, all the rumors that I've heard are, you know, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, plus Notre Dame to the Big Ten to give them an even twenty. But we we can get into that later. Um, so. What are we? I'm thinking Oregon, Utah for the conference championship. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be foolish and stick to my guns and go Oregon UCLA. I would not be mad with seeing it. I think it'd be interesting to see UCLA and Chip Kelly doing so well, and also Chip Kelly against his former team in the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, that's that that's, would be that's the storyline. Yep, that's 100% the storyline, and it would be uh, rather entertaining. So I would welcome that. Um, offensive MVP. I think I got to go Caleb Williams. That's going to be the best offense in the Pac 12 this year. Not the best overall team, but the best offense is going to be USC. And obviously, Caleb Williams is going to be a huge part of that. So. Caleb Williams offensively and defensively, I think I got to go with the um, first-round linebacker Noah Sewell from Oregon, the younger brother of Panay Sewell and also a really stud linebacker and probably borderline first-round pick at the linebacker spot. Yeah, I, I'm going to stick with you on Noah Sewell as well. He is a monster. If, if you're a fan out there who likes to watch violent football, go find some Oregon game. Just watch Noah Sewell chase people down. He's I mean, you talk about high motor. That guy looks like he's throttling the red line every single play, just flies all over the field, hits everybody, and just reckless chaos on the football field. So he's absolutely, I think, a, a future NFL player, and we'll I see him going in the first round. And then I'm going to go with Cameron Rising out of Utah. I think he's – I'm i just not sold on U, U, uh, UC, yeah, USC. I don't think Caleb Williams is the be-all, end-all quite yet. I think he still showed plenty of flaws in his game, and I think Cam Rising's just kind of got the inside track of being there, familiarity with the system, the consistency of Utah, and I think Utah will take down USC in the head-to-head. So give me Cam Rising. I know that Caleb Williams will be the big star of the conference, but I'll take Mr. Rising to be the player of the year and then Noah Sewell on the defensive side. I like it. So uh, – just a mother quick college football rundown since we'll not have Andrew on next week. Any thoughts on the three conferences we haven't gotten to or just college football, whether it's Heisman's bowl games, national champions, or just any of the conferences and teams we didn't get to talk to talk about this week in depth. We're going to save the real in depth stuff for next week, but want to get your take on the rest of the football landscape. Yeah. The rest of the football landscape. Um, I mean, the, the, the other contenders, I talked about Ohio State as a contender. The other contenders are obviously Alabama and Georgia. I, I think Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State are the big three um, that a lot of people are anticipating making the playoffs. I, I was going to kind of – I've got a question for you, I guess. is Who do you think is – well, who do you think are the four contenders? Because um, I'm not sure there's a clear cut fourth is it is it someone else from the big 10 is it michigan going 11 and 1 or or someone else or someone from the pac 12 the big 12 like 
like Oklahoma's down. So I don't know if the big 12 champion, maybe could, if they came out on skates, uh, I'm not really sure who maybe that fourth team is uh, in the college football playoff race. So I was going to kind of ask that to you. Well, and that's where I kind of hate to be lazy about this, but I'm trying not to outthink the room. I feel like it almost maybe just is that simple and stupid and straight ahead that Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. I'm I'm trying to convince myself I don't think Notre Dame's going to be as good. I think they're going to fall off. I don't know that Utah or or I don't know that any team in the Big 12 is just blanket statement is quite that good. I think Oklahoma will be down. I'm not buying into Baylor, Oklahoma State being that good. I just I can't convince myself that there's anybody outside of those four who's going to jump. But I know everybody's in love with Texas A&M, but I don't think they're near as good as Alabama or Georgia. I am wondering if there's somebody else lingering in the SEC that we're not talking about. Is are a Florida or an Auburn going to get back into it? People are falling in love with Tennessee suddenly. I'm just wondering, or Kentucky with the uh, uh, Will Levis, the quarterback that everybody's getting in love with, or your your buddy Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I'm wondering, is there a de- is there a team deeper down in the SEC that we're not thinking about? But for me, I think it is just keep it simple. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. As much as I hate that, I can't convince myself anybody's better than those four. Yeah, and and I don't think we're going to get like a Cincinnati in the playoffs um, this year either. Right? Maybe. Um, maybe there's some mid-major team from one of the mid-major conferences that you guys can dive into next week that could make it. But I don't really know. So, And I don't really see three SEC teams getting in with one Big Ten team. I mean, I guess I wouldn't put it past the committee, but I I don't think that's the route the committee would go. Yeah, maybe it is as simple as Clemson's back and they're that fourth team. Right. Which, and I didn't realize this till just looking right now, Alabama and Georgia do not play each other in the regular season. Other than that Oregon game, when you get into conference, Georgia's toughest opponent is, dare I say, Kentucky, as weird as that sounds, unless Auburn, Florida, or Tennessee are better than we think they are. We didn't even mention LSU. Yeah, no LSU on their schedule, no Alabama on their schedule. I think that's a good reason why Georgia will be in the hunt. No Texas A&M on their schedule. So. Sounds to me like Georgia's going to be in the hunt just based off their schedule alone. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to make a Heisman pick this week? Is that is that your official four then or are you going to go go off the books from those the main four? I think that I guess that's my official four. I'm, I'm not really bought into my four. I'm, I'm bought into three of the four. Uh, I guess I'll be lazy and pick Clemson. Maybe Notre Dame sneaks in somehow. I don't know. But that would involve probably beating Ohio State um, and USC to for Notre Dame to make it. And I don't, I don't know if they'll do that. Um, so, yeah, I'll just keep it simple and take Clemson, I guess. And then as as far as Heisman goes, I know I'm I'm taking uh, Ohio State to win it all, and I love C.J. Stroud. I really think it's a two-man race between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young this year. I, I'm taking Bryce Young on the Heisman. Mm-hmm. I, I'll make my picks next week, but, man, I really want it to not be one of those two just because I feel like we've overhyped them so much. 
I want, I want the dark horse to come out of, you know, where's, where's the Devonte Smith coming out of nowhere to win it? That kind of guy. If you want a dark horse, it could be a guy um, like a Braylon Allen. Cause he really yeah. is going to carry the Wisconsin offense this year. I, I do think like 2000 yards is in play for Braylon Allen. Like he's the lead guy on an offense that is replacing all of their wide receivers. They don't, like to throw the ball a ton anyways. Um, so is it like he could have a Jonathan Taylor type season and maybe Jonathan Taylor ha- has had and could be in that conversation. Like Braylon Allen could have a Derek year. And if he does, then Wisconsin's winning the West, making the big 10 championship and maybe Braylon Allen gets the Heisman, but I think it's really, Bryce Young, the award is the award is basically just the best quarterback award a lot, uh, except for Devonta Smith a couple of years ago. But it really ends up being like the the best quarterback award most of the time, which is unfortunate. But I'll complain about that another day. Yeah, I, I find it unfortunate too, because uh, um, there's another guy in Alabama, Will Anderson, defensive guy. I really would like this to be the year that a defensive guy wins it, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. When you think of how great some of the defensive guys are that they've passed over, it's hard to think that somebody will do it anytime soon. Unless you get like 25 interceptions or something on otherworldly. And Will Anderson, the fourth best odds, he is plus 1600 on DraftKings. Hey. Yeah, well, um, it's good. Just kidding. Yeah, um, Bijan Robinson, Caleb Williams, Smith and Jigba, Dylan Gabriel, Travion Henderson, some other names here on this list who aren't too far down. So you can get Spencer Rattler at plus 5,500. There we oh, go. forgot there, about him. There's the contender. There's the contender. South Carolina Gamecocks. How do I that's get to the third SEC team that's going to make the make the playoffs? <laughs> What can I get Quinn Ewers at? Is he just going to set the world on fire the way we all expect? Or is he even going to start? Plus, plus, plus 3,500, yeah. Um, I don't know if he's going to set the world on fire exactly. I think it'll be a little bit of an adventure. He'll be doing a lot of uh, a lot of handoffs to uh, Bijan Robinson. A little bit of throwing, but a lot of handoffs, I think. Well, anything- a lot of- Go ahead. You forgot about Spencer Rattler, and I think that's kind of a, another thing in college football in general is a lot of big-name quarterbacks change teams this offseason. Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler, um, Casey Thompson, yeah. went to Nebraska, Dylan Gabriel. Like, when there's so many transfer quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many that I can't even keep track of them, and they're all in positions where they're going to succeed. Bo Nix. I think think players are going to start taking the uh, the JT Daniels route, and I understand this. If I was in college, I'd be like, all right, I got a plan. I'm going to see like four different – Four different fan bases, four different colleges, four different parts of the country. I'll go play a a year in the SEC, a year in the Pac-12, a year in the Big Ten, and you know some other random place to just to you know see the world. Yeah, yeah. So there's just so many quarterbacks in different places that are going to make a high impact on the college football season. 
anything else you want to touch on with college football, I have one more quick sports related topic that kind of snuck up on me that I want to get your uh, picks for since you're our betting expert. All right. Let's hear it. So there is a UFC card coming up this weekend. Not a, um, not a super deep card, but I do kind of like the top two or three fights. So the main draw is Kamaru Usman, probably the best fighter on the planet right now, taking on Leon Edwards for the second time. And if you're unfamiliar with Leon Edwards, he is, he's the poster boy for dedication and just never giving up because he has been dominating people for years and years and years. He's not lost a fight since he lost to Mr. Usman at the very end of 2015. Uh, he has one no contest mixed in there, but he has won nine fights in the last seven years. And he was always a guy who was passed over is when is it going to be Leon Edwards turn? How about now? How about now? How about now? And they kept feeding other people to Usman and Usman would just dispatch him because he's that good. But I think Mar Usman's still going to win and I don't have the bets in front of me. You may be able to pull that up quicker than I will. I'm still going to pick Mar Usman, but you can't help but feel good for a guy like Leon Edwards who's just been grinding for years and years and years. And he's, he's 19 and three. So he's getting it done. And again, he's since he made it, to really the last 10 years of his career, Kamaru Usman's the only guy who's beat him. And then he had one, a split decision a couple of years before that, but feel good for Leon Edwards. I think it's going to be a great fight uh, between the two of them, but give me Kamaru Usman to take on that one. And then you also have a, a good middleweight fight between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold. Paulo Costa is kind of what, like if a Ken Barbie came to life, the dude is jacked out of his mind. Uh, Luke Rockhold kind of feels like he's been around the sport forever. I don't know how I feel about the weight cut for Paulo Costa. I think he'd be better a little bit bigger. But I think he's going to get this one here just a little bit younger, stronger, more in his prime than Rockhold. And then good old Jose Aldo seems to be really racking up the fights here in the last couple of years. I've bet against him every time, and it has typically worked out well for me in the last couple of years. I have no idea about this guy whose name I am about to mispronounce. I apologize. Marab uh, Dalishvili. I'm just going to call him the machine. His nickname is the machine. So I'm going to call him that. I suspect he's the favorite. So I'm going to give a. I'm going to go with The Machine, Paulo Costa, and Kamaru Usman as my three picks. Those are the top three fights on the card for UFC 278 this weekend. Yep, those are absolutely the top three fights. I'm really looking forward to this Usman-Edwards rematch. I think it's going to be absolute gold. Uh, Usman is minus 360, uh, so he's pretty pretty decent favorite. Uh, Paulo Costa is minus 350 over Rockhold nice. as well. So I'll take Usman and, and Costa. Uh, I'll take Usman to keep his title. He He's the best fighter in the world until proven otherwise, so it's really hard to pick against him. Paulo Costa, uh, um, I'll take him over Rockhold, like you mentioned, a little bit more in his prime. And then I will go with the slight plus 110 underdog here in Joseph. Josie Aldo, uh, Jose Aldo, sorry, wow, uh, against the machine. So I'll take I'll take Aldo as a slight underdog just because of the value that you get. So you put those three into a parlay, uh, you might win yourself uh, some decent money if you uh, decide to pick those three to win outright. I'm not saying that's what you should do. Uh, be responsible, as always, but – those three in a parlay will get you plus two forty five at DraftKings right now. I like it. So, um, yeah, hundred to win. Uh, I believe two hundred and fifty, uh, two hundred forty five. Yeah, so hundred down to win two hundred and forty five. There, I'm not saying you should put a hundred down. That's just the way you can think of it. Um, so, so, so yeah, 
Jose Aldo is only 35 years old. I was convinced he was at least 40. feels like he's been around forever. I didn't realize how young he was when he won the belt and kind of became the best all around under 170 pound fighter in the world. Man, it feels like it was so long ago. He was super young, but he's, he tricks me up because I forget that he has won three fights in a row. I just, I did really well betting against him with uh, Volkanovsky and Piotr Jan. And, and I was like, Oh man, Aldo's done. He's over the hill. Cause he, he really struggled there. You know, after the loss to McGregor's, he lost, went three and five in his next eight fights, but then he's racked up three wins in a row. But I'm usually pretty confident betting against Jose Aldo, but I forgot that uh, the last three has kind of got back on, on the horse and this um, again, who we're just going to call the machine. So I don't keep butchering his name. A guy who's kind of come out of nowhere that I don't know much about, but he's a, on his own six fight win streak here. And, yeah, climbing um, the UFC ranks and beat Marlon Marias on his last fight. So that's you know, not a pushover. It's it's hard to keep track of of Jose Aldo because he's been in so many fights. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hard to keep track of his career because it feels like every other month he's in, on one of these cards. Um, he's doing six fights a year. I feel like six seven fights a year. So. I'm trying. I, I can't back that up, but it feels like it. it feels like every time I turn around and watch UFC, there's Aldo. Yeah, he, it's <laughs> going it's at like, it. It's like he disappeared, and then all of a sudden he is everywhere. Wow, how'd that happen? Where this? He found the second second wind in his career. I'm trying. Yeah, to decide, I guess. Trying to decide this Usman uh, Edwards fight if it's going to go the distance or not because Usman is. I think he was a D2 national champion wrestler. He's one of the best wrestlers in the UFC and almost never goes for a knockout. So in his 21, 20 wins, 10 by decision, one submission and nine knockouts. So definitely stay away from submissions, but he's typically a guy who goes the distance and the same with uh, Leon Edwards. His last other, if you don't forget the no contest, which was an eye pokes, we're just going to scratch that off the list. He's had one, two, three, four, five, six of his last seven wins have all been by decision. So I'm wondering if it's a, and maybe you have some prop bet on this somewhere, but I wonder if there's a, some, some sneaky money to be won by if somebody gets caught in a knockout. I definitely don't think there's going to be a submission. The, you think the common money would be to go for a d- decision and they're going to go the distance in this one. But if there's some, if there's some good money to get on maybe a knockout one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, uh, a knockout for the Usman Edwards fight is, is plus 140. Yeah. So. 100 down to win 140 bucks. So it's not a very high value. Um, if you wanted to get a little bit risky, um, there's you can bet on the exact method of victory on DraftKings. And also, I like to uh, parlay method of victory double chance because you can um, get the KO, TKO, DQ, and the decision method of victory for minus 330. So a little bit less than just picking uh, Usman to win outright. So if if you do that and then maybe combine that with Costa and Aldo on Saturday night just to win outright, you'll you'll boost your parlay, your three pick parlay a, a little bit higher by going that route. And you can even look at the uh, the odds of winning methods. I I like to make. I like to make a, a money line parlay for every UFC uh, fight night main card, um, and then a parlay that's prop bets on the method of victory double chance. Um, those things usually have a, a, a pretty decent 
hit rate if you go for those two things every time and you, you don't get too crazy with it you don't try and pick the whole card you just target two or three fights and and call it a night becoming quite the betting expert over there yeah um that's what uh i've become a complete degenerate because <laughs> of uh iowa legalizing uh online uh online sports betting so all those- i had to go to uh the casino to lay all these bets but i probably wouldn't do it because i don't like to go to casinos but all- it's it's really nice just having it up on your phone all those after school specials and psas this is exactly what they warned you about exactly exactly and also you know they really they really rope you in because for you all these uh these promotions on, on different parlays and things. So I'm sure DraftKings will night parlay boosts and things of that nature that you can apply for Saturday night. So albeit uh, the local Merle Hay B-dubs uh, posted up and watching the fight night because that's the only place I can go in this town to see UFC. This the uh, event is happening in Salt Lake City. You could make that drive. It also feels very weird to think of going to a UFC fight in Salt Lake City, but maybe that's a better fighting hotbed than I realized. That does seem weird, and I actually do have that on my list of going to a a UFC main card, one of these. uh, So I'd obviously target one of the... uh, I kind of just want to go to the Vegas um, whenever they're out in Vegas and, and go that route. Two birds, one stone, never been to Vegas. So oh, nice. see Vegas, UFC card, and sounds like a great time. But it's on the it's on the bucket list. Exactly. Plenty of time. You're still young. Yep. Very true. Well, we've had a nice robust episode this week, covered a lot of ground, and we'll come back next week to look at the other half of the college football world with the SEC, the Big Twelve, and the independents and mid majors, see if we can find a Cinderella in that group to maybe dethrone one of these big four that we talked about this week and have a good weekend everybody enjoy ufc 278 or baseballs we're coming down to the home stretch here whatever's on your sports agenda have fun be safe thank you for joining us we will see you next week episode 72 of the sports gospel 